0: This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova Life, a new life. First Samuel chapter one. I'm uh, gonna read a few verses um, starting in verse ten. First Samuel chapter one, verse ten. You gotta know this story today. As I was thinking about dedication, is this woman? She has a prayer in First Samuel, her and her husband, where she could not have children. I know some of you are are walking through that. Uh, Some of you have walked through that. Um, Children speak to legacy, and this woman in this passage could not have children, and she takes her prayer to God and says, God, would you do a miracle through me? She has this prayer of passion, a prayer of anguish, a prayer of intention, and we pick it up here, and she's praying in verse 10 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Leave a seat on the screen behind me. It says, Hannah was in deep anguish. Crying bitterly, as she prayed to the Lord, and she said, and she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you, and he will be yours for his entire lifetime as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord. It's amazing, and this prayer was a prayer of dedication. We just had that on stage. The difference with Hannah is when she had a miracle happen, she got pregnant with Samuel, gave birth to Samuel, she actually brought him to church and left him there. Can I encourage you, don't do that today? <laughs> Some of you are like, my kids are in Junior, my kids are in Nova Kids, you have to go get them legally and we will make sure, we will, we will find you. Do not leave your kids here. Uh, but she actually brought her son to church, to the man of God, and said, when I promised to dedicate him, I meant it. And she brought him to church. You think about that. It's one thing to say, God, would you give me a gift? When he gave it, she recognized where it came from and her vow. So many times we make vows in a moment of need not to follow through. We get emotionally attached to a need, but then we forget where our blessing came from. I I, I flew home this week, and I think I thank God so much for things in my life. It's so easy to think of asking God for things, but so much of I need to spend time, I think I need to spend more time thanking God for what he's done. We are living today prayers that God has answered yesterday. The things we have today is what we prayed for. I thank God for my marriage and my kids and our friends in this church and influence and forgiveness and things we prayed for. We are walking in today. It says Hannah brought her son to the church, dropped him off. Now Samuel is being raised by the pastor Eli and he has some sons and they're being, he's being raised in church. What's fascinating is God has no grandchildren. I heard that years ago. God has kids and that means that just because your parents went to church or they have faith doesn't mean your kids do. That's why the Bible says, repeat over and over why, you're training your kids to have their own encounter with God. Hannah had her encounter with God. And she knew God, and God loved her, and God answered her prayer. But she took him to church, Samuel, so he was raised. And we pick it up here in verse chapter 3, where Samuel's having his own moment with God. That's our prayer as parents, me and Nancy, with our kids. Our prayer with our church is that our kids, our teenagers, wouldn't just know church, they would know God. They wouldn't just know uh, me and Nancy's faith or your faith, that they'd have their own faith, that we create an environment that they'd come to a place, my son, my daughter, your kids have to come to their own place where they say, do I believe in God? Do I believe he's for me? And they have to run after him. Samuel here in chapter three is having this moment. It says he's in bed and he's going to sleep. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter three, I'm gonna start reading in verse 1, it says this, if I can find it here. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. It says, Meanwhile, the boy, Samuel, served the Lord by assisting Eli, who was the priest. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord, another version says the voice of the Lord, was very, very rare, and visions were uncommon. I think I need to stop there just for a moment. says that God wasn't speaking. It was rare to hear God. I encourage you, I believe you can change the tide. One word from God. Someone who's dedicated to the things of God, God will speak to, can change a nation. God wasn't speaking. People weren't listening, but it says it was uncommon. But one night, oh, I love that, one night. I believe one Sunday morning. I believe one Saturday night. I believe one, mon- one Monday morning, everything can change. It says, one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed, and the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. It says, and Samuel, the boy, was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. And then verse 45, suddenly the Lord called out to Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? The old man, the old priest said, I didn't call you. Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Anybody have their kids getting out of bed at that stage, you know? I need a drink of water, not bathroom, and not tap water from the bathroom. I want kitchen water. <laughs> Keeps coming back to, 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 to Eli. He's like, it's not me. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Go back to bed, verse, verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, "Go and lie down again, and, and if someone calls again, say, "Speak, Lord, your servant is listening." So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord called, came and called, as before, to Samuel Samuel, and the Lord replied, "Speak, for your servant is listening." Today for the next few minutes, I just want to talk about dedication and this show and tell. Before we go and enjoy the rest of our Sunday. How many, how many uh, remember the best gift you were ever given? Anybody remember the best gift you were ever given? Yes. Anybody remember the worst gift you were ever given? I had this one gift I had. I'm not even going to say it. It was just a horrible gift. I remember good gifts. I remember bad gifts. I had a friend. I'm in this, in this text message group with some pastors. And Last week, it was, the, it was the funniest moment. This one pastor put into the group. He's like, you guys won't believe what I got today. And this, this, this thread of messages started coming down on my phone. He's like, I came back from a community event. We're out serving the community. I got back to my office, and there was this box on my desk with a card. For my, for, it says, To Pastor. And it said, on, this, on my desk was this box. It was an iPad, Apple iPad Pro box on my desk. How many know that's a good gift? He's like, This brand new box, iPad, Apple, Pro, Apple iPad Pro. And on there was for Pastor. Opened it up. He unpacked it, opened the box slowly. He's like, man, I need a new iPad. This is a, what a generous, gift! I have a great church. He was blown away by the generosity of this moment when he opened the iPad and took the box apart. It wasn't actually an iPad. Someone had reused the box that they bought their iPad in. In it was a book about the end times. A used book that someone had already read and they highlighted all the parts they thought the pastor needed to preach on. And then there was this, by the way, do not do this to your pastor. This is not what I'm looking for. The only thing better than an iPad Pro would be like a box full of coffee. Come on somebody. And in this, and this letter was, hey, pastor, we don't think you preach enough about revelation and about hellfire and all these and red moons and purple horseshoes and green clovers. And, and we just, and here is everything you need to preach. And, we, and it was passive aggressive, like, love you, but we need you to preach all this stuff. And then they didn't sign it. I said, what are you going to do with that? He said, I'm going to re gift it to another pastor in the city. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's a bad gift. That's a bad gift. I was thinking about gifts today. And gifts this week. And, I, and just very quickly today, as we just saw, some of you just think we saw a ceremony on stage today. It was more than that. It was actually a divine moment of show and tell. I just want to share, you know what the greatest gift my parents ever gave me? I thought about this. The greatest gift my parents ever gave me was the gift of the local church. I had to think that through for sure. Is that the greatest gift they've ever given me? I thought it is. My parents gave me the gift of the local church. Church today, just a little different message today. I want to unpack what I've learned in church, lessons that church taught me. We started going to church when I was uh, under a year of age. We had a miracle in our family. And from the time I was about six months of age on, uh, my parents could be found in church on Sundays and Wednesdays whenever the doors were open. I was raised in the house of God. I am so thankful for a family that said, as for me and my house, we're gonna do whatever we can to keep our kids in a church environment. Church gets a bad rap. People are down on church. They like to criticize church. Listen, I am passionate about the local church. We are excited about the local church. We're not gonna criticize churches in this place. We are excited. We love Sundays. We love the local church. And I am grateful for a family That raised me in church. Anybody else raised in church? You're thankful for that? If you're here today, it's never too late to make church a priority in your life. Today we saw families make church important. Lessons church taught me. Number one, to value all generations. I don't know another organization, another community that's so multi-generational to be cheered on by older generation, but also for you to pour into the younger ones. I walked into church, and there would be men and women older than me that would high-five me at four, five, six, and I remember walking in feeling like I was cheered on by those older than me. It taught me the value of generations. In a world of so many silos and segregations, I love that the church breaks down generational roles. It breaks down and moves us out of silos going, listen, this is an older generation, or, or this is a baby boomer generation, or this is the, the middle class, or this is poor. I love that it breaks down barriers, brings us all together, and the church is a generational church. I remember standing in church as a young person. We sat all together as teenagers, I remember when you're 15, it's like you're always tired. I don't know, you're growing. But I, I don't know what it is about church. The second you walk into church, my legs would get tired. Am I the only one? Church, airport, and Costco, my legs get tired. I walk into Costco and I'm exhausted. I'm like, why am I so tired at Costco? It's amazing how malls make me tired, airports make me tired, and church made me tired. I remember, though, being 15, standing in church, and I remember I was enough of a church kid, and I feared God and my mom enough that I wouldn't sit down in church because she would kick me if I sat down. I had one of those mothers. She just she had her eyes closed, worried, and she she knew if I was sitting, and she'd kick me. So I'd move away from her, and she'd move towards me. And we were playing like the the hokey pokey in church. I was going this way, and she'd kick me. And I remember I couldn't be the first to sit down. But we back in the day we had some longer services. I remember the worship would go on and on and on and on and on and. On and we talked about the days of Elijah and the days of Noah and the days of Churchill. We just sang forever. And, and I, I remember all of a sudden, I remember I want to sit down. I'll never forget this. There was a woman we called Granny Garnett. And she, and, and she was an elderly woman. I remember, I don't know how old she was, but she had to be in her 70s, maybe even her 80s. And she wouldn't sit down. And I remember, I'd, I'll never forget this. I remember sitting in church going, I can't sit down until she sits down. I thought, I don't have an excuse. I'm 15, I'm young, I'm in shape, I I got energy. I thought, I can't sit down until she sits down. The problem is she never sat down. (laughs) But there's something I learned about generations learning from the older ones and how they lived. I learned to replicate. I learned more. I caught more than I was taught. I caught more from generations in church than sometimes a preacher ever preached from a pulpit. Can I encourage you, your worship parents make a difference. The way you give makes a difference. The way you greet in the lobby. There are men and women that when I walked into church, I knew they loved me. I knew they were cheering for me. They gave me my shot at my first job. They they would encourage me in every way. There's something about generations. And then as I got older, I started pouring into the ones younger. Can I brag on our our youth? I love how our youth pour into the younger ones. I love how they love the kids. They're high-fiving kids. They're they're involved in kids. I love that they run in our kids' ministry. They make things happen. I believe in generational church. I'm thankful that church taught me to value all generations. If you're in here today and going, is there a place for me? There's a place for you. No matter what your age, race, or where you are in life, the church is for you. Can somebody say amen? amen? Second thing, you know what church taught me? It taught me that God speaks and what he sounds like. Eli here knew the voice of God, and it says Samuel didn't know the voice of God, and it had to be the ones older than him explained to him what God sounded like. Church taught me that God speaks, and what he sounds like. I remember when I was a teenager, an older teenager, I started having conversations like, how do you know you're in love? Because I knew I was getting on that stage where I was going to start dating and marriage, and, and if you're in here and you're a teenager, don't, Date until you're like 40. Come on, somebody. My daughter's not allowed to date until she's 60. And uh, just, that's just the way it is. Uh, but I remember when I was thinking about love and marriage, I was, how do you know you're in love? Because you start feeling emotions at 15, 16. And I remember talking to older people going, How do you know you're in love? Like, well, it feels like this. I'm like, Well, I feel like that. Well, like, no, it's, it's more than feeling, there's also a commitment. And love is more than a feeling. Thank God for feeling. And they start to unpack. How do you know you're in love? Well, you can't always trust your heart or your emotions. You need that, but there's more to it. You got to look at some counsel. You got to look at their character. And I remember they would explain to me what falling in love or choosing love felt like. Do you know the voice of God's the same thing? I remember being a young man, and people would get up and they'd share in church. I heard God say, "I'm like God speaks." People say to me, I just feel like God's saying to do this with my life or go here or do here. And I learned in church that God still speaks. But in church, I also learned how to recognize his voice. And when I started going through desires and direction, I leaned in on knowing God speaks and what he sounds like because of those older than me taught me. Church taught me that God speaks and what he sounds like. If there is something we need to pass down to our children is to know the voice of God. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a podcast. You don't need a book. I believe in all those things. But the greatest thing I'm trying to teach our kids, and I'm believing for your kids and for your life and you young adults and you adults, is that we'd hear the voice of God. God's still speaking, and we need to know his voice. What else did I learn in church? That people are weird. Some of you are like, what's the spiritual? There's no spiritual point to this. People are weird. People are weird. People go to church. That makes church weird. Right. Some of you are like, "Man, church is weird." Trust me, church is very weird. Why? Because people are weird. People wherever people gather is weird. Costco is weird on Saturday. People taking samples. They're not even looking at buying. Just seeing some of you just taking a sample. You want to be around people? People dress weird. I was on a plane. People are weird on airplanes. Taking off their shoes and socks. There's no need to ever take your socks off on a plane. Oh, I'm preaching now. Put your feet on the seat in front of you or on the window. My goodness. This happened to me a month ago. There is never a good time to eat an egg sandwich on a plane. If you're looking for a good time, that's not it. Oh, I don't know. Let me take the one food that smells like gas. Let me put it between two pieces of bread and take it into a confined cylinder at 40,000 feet. Like, I was on a plane and somebody had an egg sandwich and they broke it. I'm like, really? I was like, I had a feeling, I thought, I bet they go to church, right? Like, I just, people are weird. People are, I I learned that. People are weird. I grew up in a time when churches were four hours long, services were four hours long. As a kid, you made it through with a pack of halls and crayons, just made it through. I just eat, eat certs and halls. I eat certs and halls and colored and underneath the seat. And tur- for a, a three hour- It gets weird at around three hours. <laughs> Shofars come out. Blankets covering people. Like, it gets weird. But you know what I realized? Don't throw something out because it gets weird. Because people are weird. You know what? I still fly. I fly to get on a plane tomorrow. I'm not avoiding it because of egg sandwiches and people's bare feet. Why? Because I understand the mission of the plane and the assignment on it. I, still, I don't go to Costco. I send my wife to Costco. She likes Costco. I sit in the parking lot at Costco. We don't avoid Costco. Can I encourage you? People are weird. Church taught me it's okay to be weird. Just people are weird. Deal with it. I don't throw it out because people tell people are like, man, church is weird. I ain't going to church. That's a Pentecostal church. It's Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be weird. People are weird. God's not weird. But I encourage you, since it's because something's weird doesn't mean you avoid it. Church taught me, you know what? Deal with it. People are weird. I learned that early. People, I, I, I don't get surprised anymore. Why? Because church taught me. People are weird. That's the only point I got for that. People are weird. If you don't think church is weird, if you've never experienced anyone weird in church, it's probably you. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Nothing ever weird happens. Pass me my shofar. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know. Some of you, your family motto is shofar so good. You know, like weird. I don't, don't even, don't even. Here's all I learned in church. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. I'm not the center of the story. He is. I'm a part of something bigger. You need to know today, the best thing we can teach our kids is not about them. Doesn't that sound wrong? There's this whole teaching about child-centered parenting, but I also believe there's child-centered and people-centered church. And there's this analogy, and I heard someone teach us as parents saying, be God-centered, not child-centered. Child-centered is you and your wife. You, you sure grab hands figuratively around your kids going, we're going to do life around our kids. Everything's about our kids, and our money and our purpose and our dreams and our vision and our passion and our goals. And everything. It's all about these kids. And they said, the problem is when your kids leave, there's nothing for you and your spouse to focus on. There's nothing to focus your life on. And then you spend your empty nest years feeling empty and you, you chase your kids and some of you have had your parents chase you and they're obsessed with you and there's nothing at the center of your life. They said, no, no, put God in the middle of your life and then join hands with your kids and your spouse or as a single parent, join hands with your kids and your community around the cause of Christ. And when your kids move on, the circle just shortens around the same cause. You know, what's amazing is we teach kids that they're the center of the universe. And then we, we act surprised when they act that way. They think it's all about them. They're so selfish. All they're concerned about is what, if we treat them like they're the center of the universe, don't don't act surprised when they act that way. You know what helped me early to realize it wasn't about me, it was about him. I grew up in a church where I served as a young man. Serving did something, realize this isn't for me. When I was hustling and bustling, when my father was going on missions trips, when we were sacrificing financially so we could help people and build the church, I realized early we didn't even eat out as a church. My mom was like, I'm like, can we go eat today? She's like, "Yep, we're going to go to 178 K Street. I'm like, that's our home address. She's like, right, that's where we're eating today. And a part of it was working two jobs and life, but a part of it also was we were a part of something bigger and we were giving our time, our finances. And I learned early it's not about me, it's about something bigger the cause of Christ. I think we need to teach our kids, in all the lessons we teach them, that it's not about them, we're a part of something bigger. I believe in loving your kids and giving your kids the best. But I think we need to teach them there's something bigger than just their life, that they're a part of something bigger. They get to be part of a mission. And early on, I realized it's not about me. This church is not about me and Nancy. We didn't build a church about us. Why? It's about him. It's all about him. And I learned that in church. That this world, you know, I rarely get disappointed. Why? Because it's not about me. I'm a part of something bigger with a bunch of weird people. It's not about me. You know what else I learned in church? That God has a plan for me. Learn that in church. You need to know God has a plan for you. Maybe you've never heard that before. He has a plan for you. You're not just here sucking oxygen, hoping to get through life and maybe get a job and maybe, maybe have healthy relationships and maybe have enough money to retire. It's more than that. God has a plan for you. And church gave me a compass to direct my life on. It was God's plan. God's plan became the true north in my life. And in all my decisions, it was my guiding light. I want to encourage you young people that when I was making decisions, it all went through the filter of what's God's plan for my life. I've never used a compass, but I have one on my phone. And you can all, in my car, it always has the compass. You can always tell where no, north never changes. And you can base life on I was using GPS yesterday in Vancouver the day before. and It's like, this is the compass. Can I encourage you? We need to give a compass to our kids, a compass to our lives. And the compass is the plan of God. And when I started making decisions, it wasn't what am I talented at? What do I feel good about? What am I promoted in? Where's the most money? It's the compass was, whoa, where's God's plan? Am I still in line with God's plan? And then I know it's for me. I have my wife today because of God's plan. I have the kids I have today because of God's plan. I have this church today and the friendships we have and everything good in my life came from the true north in my life saying, what does God think? What does God want? And that was the filter for my life. I learned in church, God has a plan. And when I wanted to date somebody, when I was in my teens, i go, now what's God's plan for my life? Not what I wanted, not what my friends were doing. Mike, what's God's plan for your life? When I wanted to go to university, what's God's plan for your life? When I was taking jobs, spending money, starting churches, it wasn't what I wanted or people thought I should do. The filter was, what's God's plan? God has a plan for your life today. He has a plan that the Bible says is better than your plan. It's it's more than you could ever think or imagine. God has a plan. Two more things. Second last thing is to chase God. Show and tell turns into hide and seek. God finds you and God wants you to find him. It taught me to hunger That that, that it's a hunger thing, not a convenience thing. I remember there's prayer meetings in the church I grew up in at six in the morning. I remember being in high school realizing if God has a plan for me and if God speaks, I want to know what he's saying. And Christianity is a lot of things, but it's not convenience. And the currency of heaven is hunger and thirst. Chase after God. And I started realizing that I need to chase God. Some people are like, well, I don't feel God anymore. God wants you to chase him. It's always a pursuing thing. I say to Nancy, sometimes she pursues me and sometimes I pursue her. We need some quality time. We need a date night. Why? Because every relationship can't be one-sided. You ever have those friends that you text all the time, they don't text back? What happens? After a while, you withdraw your presence from their life. God wants you to know it's about him chasing you and you chasing him. I remember prayer meetings at 6 a.m. I'd be in high school and me and my friends would commit, let's go to prayer every day during the week before school. Man, how many mornings I'd wake up, maybe beeping their horn outside, I'd open the curtain and go, go without me, come on. And the other mornings I'd pick them up and they'd open their curtain, go without me. But when we did make it, we'd sit there blurry-eyed and there'd be older people in the church praying. And one man, prayed. all he prayed was, oh God. So the only thing he prayed for an hour, oh God. And somewhere in the wrestling of these mornings, I would hear God speak. And the middle of that rise of God. I'd in the middle of tiredness, not always, but once in a while, I'd feel something. Go, man, I feel God's presence. And when you chase God, the Bible says, if you seek, you'll find. If you're hungry and thirsty, He will fill. And church taught me that. Listen, it's one thing for God to chase me and forgive me, but the rest of my life, I need to be passionate about chasing God. Church taught me that. The last thing it taught me is what community looks like. As the worship team comes back to play us out today, what community looks like. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says it this way, verse 12. It says, A person standing alone can be attacked or defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's this picture of this cord. One strand can be snapped under pressure. Two is even better, but a three uh, corded, uh, stranded together uh, cannot be broken. You know what those three strands are for me? It's me, it's God. And the local church. And when you have them together, it's a core that can't be broken. You know what church taught me? It's taught me the power of community. I lived in Africa for a bit, and on a vacation, they took us to this, this safari in, in the Maasai Mara. And they took us out one day on these trucks, and they, they said, We might not see a lot of things. And all of a sudden, they said, Watch this, look over here. And there's this cheetah with her three cubs. And this, this, this cat, the fastest cat, this amazing hunting animal, it locked in on some antelope and these, these deer, and it isolated one and started chasing it. It broke it off from the herd, from the rest, and the herd went this way, and this young uh, deer went this way, and this mother tracked down, the. I don't I forget, right in front of the truck, it ran full speed, it swiped its back legs, so the thing flipped, and it waited for it to flip into It, it ran past it, waited for it, the thing fell into it, and then it bit on its neck and suffocated it. How many times in life do we get isolated before we get destroyed? Church taught me community is doing this together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Church taught me community. Community is messy. It's not perfect. It's just like family. It's, there's issues. There's, people are weird. People are hurtful. People disappoint. But there's, you can't mistake the power of community, that we are in this together. And some people go, I can do it by myself. You'll go fast, but you won't go far. And at 44, raising our family, uh, doing the best we can, I've realized I only made it this far because of community. People older than me give me advice, correcting me, and also encouraging me. People younger than me supporting me and cheering me on. And together in this community, uh, in church, I've realized there's legacy in community. My friends, if you feel isolated today, church is a three-chord strand. God's presence, community in your life. And it's not easily broken. We go further together. As I close today, Hannah's story, she gave the boy. It's amazing. She gave the boy who became the man, who chose kings. There's one king he chose, came David, killed a giant that was threatening the freedom of a nation. Isn't it interesting that Hannah gave the boy, that became the man, that chose the king, that killed the giant that freed a nation. When you give your family, when you commit your family to be in the house of God, it doesn't stay there. There's legacy and there's miracles. Today, what you saw on the stage was more than just cute babies in their best outfits and toddlers. It was more than that. It's people saying, I know that if I commit my house to the things of God, it might be a baby on a stage today, but you don't know where they're going tomorrow. The very miracle of freedom in your life and my life and my kid's life might have been on this stage today. The baby that she gave later on came back years later to free her from the giant that wanted to enslave his whole family. She gave the boy that chose the man that became the king, that killed the giant, that freed a nation. My friends, there's legacy in church. Today I want to encourage you. God still believes in local church. He's passionate local church. And we believe God is moving in our church, amen? Can you stand to your feet today as we close? Two calls as I close. more of a challenge actually I was at a conference me and Nancy for a week learning about church I learned a couple things number one we have an amazing church secondly there's more to be done but would you challenge in your heart to be more committed to cheering on the local church than ever before would you be more committed to being passionate about God's plan for your life and your family I I want a church that's full of life Full of passion, full of families, full of young people and old people, middle people. I believe we're passionate with the church. If you're feeling isolated today, if you feel like you're kind of coming and going here and there, I believe there's no greater gift than the local church. I look at my wife today, I wouldn't have it with a local church. I wouldn't have my kids, I wouldn't have my friends, I wouldn't have the opportunities. God is still building the local church. God is still using local church not about this church. There's a lot of great churches in this city. If this one doesn't fit you, go find one. Don't get offended and go, I gave up on church. Leave. If you, this doesn't work for you, leave and go find one. And we'll help you find one. Why? It's bigger than this. So many good churches in this city. Go find a church. And plant yourself in. And watch what God wants to do. And secondly, if you say, Mike, I don't know this church. I don't know God. Today you can join the family of God. You give your life to Christ, you join his family. He's passionate about you. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, if you don't know God, you say, I don't have, know God's plan for my life. I don't know his voice. I don't feel forgiven for my past. I don't feel excited about my future. I don't feel like God's involved in me. I feel distant from God. I feel disconnected. We want to pray for you right now. All over this place with every head bowed, just for a moment, just for privacy, if you can close your eyes. You say, Mike, I want you to pray for me. I'm simply in an account of three to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you and believe today a start of a journey is going to happen. That's all we're going to do. You say, Mike, I want you to pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to start a relationship with Jesus all over this place with every head bowed. One, it's not everybody today, but it could be you. You say, I want to start this family of of God. I want to join my life to God. Two, three, all over this place. If that's you raise your hand real quick and put it right back down. Thank you. Put it right back down. Put it right back down. Thank you so much. Can we all pray together? If you raised your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, the worship team with me, we're all going to pray this prayer after. Why? Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart. Right now you're saying I believe in my heart, but together we're gonna confess out loud, and a miracle is gonna happen. He's gonna come in and wash you clean. You may walk walked in here feeling far from God, maybe shame, maybe low. Today God's gonna wash you clean. And he's committed to partnering with you. Can we all repeat this after me? Say, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. I give you my life today. I give you my life today. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my sin. I choose you. I choose you. I choose your plan. I choose your plan. And I commit my life to you. Come into my life. life. Lead me. me. Guide me. me. I love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come on, give a round of applause today.